Welcome to Bayan, a podcast about the intersection between American and Taiwanese culture. I'm Joe. With me is Jack. Hello, everyone. Anna. Hello. And today we have a special guest, Masha. Hi. How are you doing, Masha? I'm good. Thank you very much for introducing me to this podcast, and I'm like really happy to be here today. Yeah, we're happy to have you.、Uh, you were one of our first listeners, so it was a, it was a great honor to get some feedback from you on our earlier podcast. What, what did you think of our podcast? I was introduced to your podcast from my Taiwanese friend Sue, and she told me her friends are doing the podcast about the Taiwan and America. And then I listened the full version later, like the one hour of your first episode. So I really was surprised that how how did it came the idea to make like the podcast about the American and Taiwanese culture and introduce it to each other. So yeah, I think it's really cool. Thank, awesome! Thank you so much. You are, you have so much courage. <laughs> 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 I cannot listen to our first episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, same here. But you know, I think it's a work in progress, and it's it's gotten better. I, I actually liked our third episode,、mm-hmm. so that was cool. But yeah, we're really happy to have you here today. We appreciate you coming all the way from Fukuoka, and、um, yeah, we're interested in learning a little bit more about you. So so tell us what it is that you do. What is your work? So I doing the computational chemistry. I graduated from the Japanese、uh, doctor course last September, and now I'm doing the postdoc in the same university. My specialty is、uh, computational chemistry, which is basically a simulation of the molecules, like in the real life, but you do it in your computer, so you can see on your screen the particles, how they interact with each other, and you can like simulate it and、uh, investigate various phenomena using your computer. Without actually making your hands dirty in the laboratory, which personally I find it attractive, <laughs> that's why I started to do computational chemistry. Is that is that a fairly new field? I mean, computers that are able to calculate complex interactions, chemical reactions, is that something that? How long has this field been around? <laughs> Maybe since the computer were invented, so the <laughs> people people always try to find the new implementations to the things、oh. they invent. So I guess. I I did some Google. You you also need to use some quantum physics. Like you bring into the formula and try to manipulate those the interaction between different molecules. Yeah. So okay, I think the correct answer to the question you asked me before about when when the computational chemistry started. So basically, it started with theoretical chemistry. Maybe in the 90s and 20th century, the, when the quantum theory were invented, was invented. So we got the equations that can describe the particle interactions, right?、Mm. So basically, we can solve these equations using our brains, just like putting the numbers and writing on the paper. So that's like the prototype of the computational chemistry, so theoretical chemistry.、Mm. And now, when we have computer, basically we have calculator, right?、Yeah. So we can calculate the numbers faster. And we cal- calculate more numbers for more molecules. So basically, that's、uh, maybe the <laughs> the computational chemistry can be explained like that. Huh? G- can you give me an example of some sort of、um, technological breakthrough that's been achieved in this field, or what what's something in the real world that might be affected by the type of work that you do? So、uh, why do we need the computational chemistry? We can do the experiment in the laboratory, but we will spend some time and money, and we will fail. Many times before we actually get the result,、uh, the result we expect, or be, before we can prove something or whatever. But using the simulation, you can check all possible、uh, reactions. For example, how how your chemical reaction will go. You can check using the computational chemistry before you actually start the synthesis.、Mm. So it saves you a lot of time and money and、uh, human labor. Fascinating subject. <laughs> I, I don't have. 
other comments. It's too <laughs> <laughs> sounds too 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 smart. I can. Well, what I what I'm curious about is like, <laughs> for example, what are concrete examples of type of work that you've done? Like, what when you're doing these simulations, what specifically is something you've attempted to achieve, or something that you've been able to learn through uh, these computations? Yeah, so I can give you an example, and this example is about my PhD work. Mm. So my topic was to investigate the interactions between the DNA bases. Some DNA nuclear bases can have mutations, right? So I did investigation how the mutated base interacts with the normal base and what kind of consequences will be if, the, if we have mutation in DNA. So because DNA replicates and it leads to the sequences of the mutational so DNA replicates, and it leads to the sequence of the mutational events. And then we have the sick cell in our body, right? This kind of investigation maybe is more about the medical science. And pharmaceutical science, for example, we can check some drugs, right? So you are trying to defeat the cancer or try to like prevent the disease by the calculation, and you can have the, the drug-like effect to human body? Yeah, so, so <laughs> I think that's really an uh, easy answer to your question because <laughs> I, yeah, in the end, I will defeat the, uh, the cancer, I guess. <laughs> wow. Well, it's, uh, obviously, by your answer, it's more nuanced than that, right? You're trying to gain better understanding of these processes, which, as Jack said, eventually down the road, we would hope would lead to that kind of a breakthrough, but really having a more clear understanding of these processes and all the possible permutations is just increasing human knowledge and that increase will lead to breakthroughs essentially. So we have a computer, it means we have a powerful calculator. We have equations, we have a theory. So we can implement computer to solve the equations which describe the interactions or describe the physical phenomena in our world. Computational science nowadays is very prospective too. For example, I go to my work in the morning, I make a cup of coffee and then I just start my calculations. So I just like run the input file and just have my coffee. By the time I finish my cup of coffee, <laughs> I have results that mm. can be produced during one month if you do the experiment in the flask. Wow. But wow. I actually can see the possible uh, results o of the different trials using my calculator, my computer, by the time I finish the cup of coffee, right? So what is your role in, in that? Uh, obviously, the computer is doing the calculations, but how do you choose where to direct the computer? Uh, so this is why we still need humans <laughs> in science. This is why we cannot just use artificial intelligence to replace the scientists, right? Because you need to be smart enough to make the correct input of your data and to analyze the outcome of your calculations, right? Uh, maybe for now, the artificial intelligence cannot be, be enough conscious to make the meaningful mm. uh, decisions about the outcomes. Mm. So, so I, it cannot analyze. As a human, where are you getting your intuition from about where you should be directing your research? Is it uh, your boss have some request to you or you got some request from the medical company? They say, uh, we want this kind of experiment uh, result. And then you, you take this request, you start your experiment. Yeah, so I think uh, especially my topic is can be like that. So, for example, we have a pharmaceutical company and they want to develop some drug. Mm. Drug is a molecule and this molecule interacts with some parts in our cell, for example, DNA chain or proteins or any other part. To produce a drug, 
you need it first you need to make a pool of the possible candidates for the drug molecules mm-hmm. and then you need to synthesize all of them you need to make a trials when you can investigate how drug interacts with a cell and takes a lot a lot a lot of time maybe you know that the time range when the drug can be developed is up to 20 years but with uh, your field support maybe you can shorten this cycle yeah, that's oh. true so the computational chemistry in this case can shorten this time like we can just it just depends on how much computers we have so if we have a lot of computers we can do just more calculations in the same time range right Mm. so we can get more data we Mm. can analyze the data and we can choose the most prospective uh candidate for the drug molecule i think that's the part that surprises the three of us the part that we we didn't expect was that the computers are capable of running these simulations and predicting so accurately how all these molecules are going to interact. Yeah, so the computer do the routine work. So the role of the scientist in, in this field is a creator or have the, create and have an idea and the role of computer just to do all the routine work instead of you, just to do these massive calculations. Mm. That's why we cannot use the artificial intelligence in this field. Not yet. Not yet. Not okay, yet. not yet. <laughs> yeah, well, same thing with artificial intelligence. It's also a tool, right? Um, it wasn't the artificial intelligence's idea to research protein folding, but uh, once we pointed it in that direction, then it was able to achieve results that no human alone could attain. In the case of AI, it's really about the synthesis working together with it. Uh, the human directs it, and then it's similar to the computer programs that you're using, a tool that will help get you there. Yeah, So, but the artificial intelligence might be useful in terms that sometimes, uh, so our human uh, imagination is quite limited, right? Sometimes we cannot imagine some things or like we cannot imagine the multidimensional space, for example. But computer doesn't care. <laughs> artificial intelligence is just like the mathematical model, right? Mm. So mathematical model doesn't care about the imagination. It just do the calculations. So sometimes by interpreting how the machine learning model came to the certain decision, we can get some different perspective. Because sometimes we might not notice some important uh, feature but artificial intelligence is not limited. So it doesn't have imagination. It's bad because it cannot be creative, but it's good because it doesn't have the limitation. That's right. I think it's particularly good at discovering counterintuitive subjects. Like that's that's how I experienced it in chess. I'm a big chess plan fan. I love playing chess. And when strong computers, especially AIs, entered the chess space, they started changing our understanding of the game. You know, there's these moves that AIs would make. Suddenly in the middle of the game, it's pushing a pawn up in front of your king, playing the move h4 as white, which it's just no human would ever do this move. And we would never even consider it. We wouldn't even look at it. But as she says, the AI was not limited by these, you know, human tendencies. By the experience. That's right. By experience, we know that this weakens the king. We don't quite see the purpose of it. But the AI considered every move and discovered this was actually quite strong. So... That's just one of the ways that has revolutionized chess and has expanded our understanding of it in ways that humans alone never would have discovered. Yeah, so AI learns based on the many, many examples, but uh, it also can produce the new examples, right? And so so you don't feel like threatened by AI in the future or you're looking forward to the cooperate with it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we should collaborate with AI, but AI doesn't have conscious, right? Mm. So I, personally, I'm not afraid that the artificial intelligence can take work from the scientist. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so uh, artificial intelligence tools 
were created to do the routine work instead of us, right? But the question is that oh. many human beings are doing routine works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, in our industry, semiconductor, I think when we introduce it into this uh, industry, it will cut off a lot of human resource. Yeah. So actually, I think this is a uh, kind of attractive, but also afraid of the the change in the future. Mm, I see. Yeah. Yeah, and I was asking them yesterday in their fields, do they think that an AI could do their job? And they said, yes, it can. You know, yes. not yet, but eventually their jobs are the type of jobs that can be replaced. So maybe m most of us will be replaced, but you'll be okay. We'll we'll still need <laughs> scientists at the top, and the rest of us, you know, we will uh, pursue art. Yeah, we are on the top of the food chain, I guess, <laughs> and we will win this fight with artificial intelligence. Nice. Yeah, it's fascinating. I n I never heard of your profession before. And I, I find it really interesting to learn about the type of work that you do. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. I think our show become more high class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, you're elevating the level of discussion here. Thank you for that. Okay, and how about the career in Japan? How about the academic work in Japan? Is it like a big role that uh, many people can share the cake and uh, everyone can have a job or promote easily? You mean like academia in Japan? Yes. So I think... It's competitive, just like everything in Japan is competitive. <laughs> and general in Asian countries, I guess. Or maybe not only Asian countries. So mm. uh, The population of the Earth is growing every year, right? So we naturally have competition. Mm. And we will have more and more competition. Mm. Maybe. Yes. And because, and if we have AI that can replace some work, <laughs> uh, that can replace some human labor, then we will have even more competition, right? Because everyone should want to get a piece of the cake <laughs> yes so what about your experience here in japan you know you moved to japan from russia it's a big cultural difference here what's your experience been like living and working in japan yeah so first of course i had some crisis <laughs> living in japan is the first experience for me when i spent so long time abroad uh, and also because of the language barrier first i couldn't understand what's happening around me what people are talking about so it makes you feel isolated even if there are people generally friendly to you, still, if they have a conversation you don't understand, it makes you to feel isolated. And you start to notice only bad points because you are trapped in, into the mood. But after some time, uh, I got used to Japan, and now I really enjoy living in Japan. Because when I came here, I didn't come here because I was so much interested uh, in Japanese culture or life in Japan. I think it was just a lucky circumstances. Why did they came here? But th the longer I live in Japan, the, the more I like Japan. I can say like that. Wow. Yeah. So you are kind of more like into the Asia culture now? Because I believe like Joe must have a lot of trouble <laughs> when he came to Japan because American is so individualism. And uh, Japan is more like we need to unite together. Everyone need to be so smooth. You, you don't speak your true opinion. So how about you? Do you have this kind of culture shock? Yeah, yeah. So there is a very common image of Japanese people that they cannot disturb other people. Yes. So to not make any trouble to other people. And it's it's a good thing, mm. but in the very extreme outcome, it leads to the situation when you don't want to say your opinion because you think it might be offensive to other person, but it makes you very distant from the other person at the same time, right? Oh. Yeah. So the culture become more formal. Mm. People are very nice and polite, but they're also distant from you. Mm -hmm. 
So there are like two sides. So you are okay with this culture now? Uh, I just got used to that. But yeah, I guess still I can complain about this <laughs> with my, with my <laughs> friends. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I would rather want my boss, for example, or my sensei to tell me directly if mm. they are disappointed in my work, but they will just politely smile to me and wait until I figure out by myself that something is going wrong. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sounds so terrible. She's, she's <laughs> describing my life right now, by the way. <laughs> yeah, this is this is my challenge too, is that uh, you know, direct communication solves so many problems, I believe. I think it's vital to relationships is to have open, honest, direct communication. Even if it's painful, even if it's uncomfortable, it's far more comfortable than a misunderstanding and not knowing what the other person wants or thinks. So for me, this is the primary challenge of life here in Japan is learning to read situations and I think she's right. She said it's also a positive thing. You know, this desire, this thoughtfulness of other people trying not to create discomfort for them, trying to be, you know, really genuinely thoughtful about how other people might think and feel is good. But as she also said, in the extreme outcomes, it can create this distance. So for me, it's all about finding the happy medium and learning to read. I mean, Japanese people are very sensitive to situations. Many of them are very good at reading the air because they're not being given this direct communication. You know, they, they are so good at, as they say, kuki o yomeru in Japanese, reading the air, right? Mm. Whereas that's a skill maybe we, is underdeveloped in our countries. So it's not that it's a good or bad thing, this cultural feature. It's simply that when you're coming from another culture, which does not have the skills maybe to go with this way of living, you have to develop those skills and find the happy medium. So yeah, that's my biggest challenge living in Japan too. How, how about for you guys? I mean... Do you think Taiwanese culture is similar enough to Japan that you don't have a problem with this? Or do you find it challenging as well? Before that, I want to say you are so political correct. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you have so good answer for this I, question. This was her answer, actually. That's yeah, what yeah, I, yeah. I, I just uh, learned from her, actually. She, you was, guys she was talking so about the, the nuance, correct. which is that, yeah, it's not necessarily good or bad thing. It's a feature mm. of their culture, right? Uh, and it's just us coming from outside that makes yeah. it feel difficult. But like, like oh. she said, we will still complain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess Joe just elaborated uh, my opinion in a better way because he lived longer time in Japan. So uh, he can be, <laughs> he can, he, he's better in politically, uh, in, in, in polite uh, answers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think for Taiwanese, it's no problem for me because uh, I think Taiwan's culture more like the mixture between Japan and China. We also have this kind of, uh, we need to read the air culture. Just depends on people, and some people are so direct. So we we are okay with both, and I think especially for Anna, she loves Japan's culture. <laughs> she she loves this kind of distance, and uh, people don't like like try to know your privacy some something. And for me, I'm I think I'm lucky because my boss, my Japanese boss, he's he's very direct, and I think in my philosophy personal philosophy i think if you don't say your opinion i will ignore <laughs> I, I will think you have no problem to me so i just try to do my best and if you don't describe any problem to me i will take myself as 100 <laughs> until until you discover the landmine you didn't know was there and it explodes <laughs> <laughs> yeah possible but possible. I, tried, I did my best yeah I, yeah I think that's a good approach i did my best first so anna jack said you you love this kind of culture explain that to us you you like this professionalism this distance this like you said people not getting too involved in other people's lives 
Yeah, I think like recently our the headquarters is decided to cut off some people, and I asked my Japanese colleague like, do they worry about these decisions from the headquarters? And they are like, ah, oh, yeah, bye, and then finish the conversation. <laughs> I I think it's good because in Taiwan we will have like many conversation and max people like we are very fear about the situations, but in Japan because we. Don't need to discuss so much. So then we end our conversation, and our fear is just stay at the normal level. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think no drama. No drama. Well, a good example is、uh, I would go snowboarding with my wife,、yeah. and she would snowboard with me, and she's falling down the mountain, you know, having a really rough time. And then finally, one time she rents skis, and I see my wife. She looks like a pro skier. She's Carving left, carving right. Turns out she's been skiing her whole life, and I never knew. I'd been married to her. We've been together for twenty years. Married for ten years, and only five years ago I discovered my wife can ski. I said, "How come you never told me you can ski?" She's like, "You never asked." This is the <laughs> Japanese mindset. They don't volunteer the information. They don't want to boast. I like the mysteries about their life. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always have something need to find. That's、think. great that you see the positive side of it, and there are a lot of positive sides. It's true. So it's like you never get bored with your Japanese wife because there is still something to learn about. Absolutely, <laughs> and I've learned to be a mind reader. You can't just ask her what she wants; you have to read the air. That sounds so horrible. <laughs> it's, no, it's not. It's it's like we said. It's neither good nor bad. It's、mm. simply different,、mm. and it's up to you to adjust or not. Yeah.、Right? How about our secret guest, Sue? Yeah, Sue. Are you getting used to Japanese culture now? Like, don't share the information. Like, only give the blurry、uh, information. Do you like that way of living? I just use it. You don't share <laughs> your information. I don't share my information. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> sounds just irritated by Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like the transition from Taiwanese to Japanese culture is not. As extreme, maybe as、uh, some other countries, but still, yeah. So, so that's some of your experience. Anything else about your experience living in Japan、um, that you want to share, Masha? Yeah. So I think you explained it in a very good way. But it also sometimes bothers me. For example, I can come to my lab in the morning and say "Hi, Gazemas," like "Good morning," and then the next time I speak is "Goodbye, Atsukarisamadesta," <laughs> and that's all, right? <laughs> so, yeah. But it's it's okay. You, you can be f- really focused on your work, but at some point you start to feel depressed.、Mm. I, is this very different with your culture? Yeah, so I can judge only based on my experience. But I think, like in Russian university during my study,、mm, we had more friendly atmosphere in the lab. So we used to have a tea every evening. For example, we can talk and I don't know play the board games in the working place after the work. And it's really nice. It really breaks the ice, and it makes you feel like you want to come to to work tomorrow too. <laughs> wow! Yeah, but、uh, when you have such kind of distant culture in your workplace, then yeah, it can be good. Yeah, it solves many problems. Looks kind of lonely. Yeah, I think the loneliness might be the problem.、Hmm. Yeah, like you don't belong to this group. Hmm. I think it's kind of family relationship. Okay, so the work and family is completely different, of course, but the people need such socialization, right? So we want to have friends, we want to have family, the partner, but we also want to have the 
relationships with colleagues, right? <laughs> no, sounds bad. <laughs> said no, relationships no. with the colleagues. No, no, no. <laughs> no we, we totally agree, I think. Big yeah. time. Your, your work is where you spend so much of your life. And, you know, if you're not going to school, where else are you meeting people, really? It's the number one opportunity for social interaction outside of your immediate family. So, yeah, I totally agree. I want to have relationships with my colleagues. Yeah, yeah. So you want to f uh, you want to be a part of the group in your family, in your friend circles, and also in the work. It's really important because you just feel, yeah, I want to come tomorrow to my work too because my job is exciting, but also I will see these people and I will have a good time in my work. It doesn't matter if my results today were not good because I still had a good time. I had a conversation and the colleagues encouraged me. For example, I am in my lab and I'm doing some calculations and the results are not the ones I expected and I feel bad about myself like oh I just wasted time I did something wrong and like I just go home with it and stay alone oh. with, <laughs> with myself thinking about that but when you can share this mm. thing with your colleague honestly your colleague might say oh yeah I also had a bad day today my calculations <laughs> also were not <laughs> successful and then you just don't feel alone you don't think it's the problem is in you. It's just the work is like that and everyone have a hard time sometimes and it's just fine. It's just normal. I think that's why like the, the depression problem in the Japanese working culture, people got depressed. So there is an image because Japanese people work a lot. They do work a lot, but maybe the real problem is how they work. They have to do many routine stuff and just repeat the same thing every day. And it's okay, it's just, there is a jobs like that <laughs> everywhere. Like maybe every job is like that. Mm. But if you don't have anything else besides this routine actions every day in your workplace, then you don't have any joy. You don't have any serotonin. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you don't have any positive emotions and you just get depressed. But if you can, but if you can have some close relationship uh, with your colleagues, you can discuss this kind of thing and it will make you feel better. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, That's why we need AI. So <laughs> AI Japan doesn't have such problems. <laughs> yeah, Japanese people can free from routine war. They, they can go to chasing art. Yeah. That, that for me, that's an interesting question is what does a world look like post AI? Well, let's say AI has been developed to the point that it can do the vast majority of labor, basic you know, work, and that we're all freed up and we all have lots of free time. I think most people wouldn't know what to do with themselves. Yeah, it's just like anti-utopia, I guess. Mm. Uh, I think the once human beings lose their value, maybe the individualism will be abandoned. Yeah. Really? Because I, th I think, it, uh, that's my opinion, sure. sorry. The individualism can exist only because human being has value. Like this society needs your service. Like no matter what you do, you, you do routine job, okay, you do the creative job, okay, both you have value. The only reason the capitalism not hire so many robots is because robots are too expensive, more expensive than human beings. And once they hire human beings, they are relatively cheap and capable for many things. Sometimes they are lazy, that's the problem. But the, if one day the robots or the AI are so cheap, once we lose our value, I think maybe the society won't encourage individualism because human beings cannot gain their respect. Really? I, I think differently. I think essentially the key part that you're saying is once you lose your value, but that's because you're identifying an individual's value with their work. I think our sense of value will have to evolve. We'll have to find a new way to 
find value in life. Mm. I think it's, it'll be a big shift in humanity because up until now, historically, the vast majority of your time was spent just to provide for the basics of living, to have enough food on the table, place to live, clothes on your back. I mean, that was taking up most of people's time and energy. And through the Industrial Revolution now, we have more free time compared to our, our forebears, mm. the people who came before us. And a lot of us don't know what to do with that free time. But I think if we got to the point that society could function without needing to work, you know, 40-hour weeks, that uh, we would have to discover new, new sources of value in life. Mm. And uh, basically, we will all become artists and individuality will increase because <laughs> each of us will be uh, pursuing our own meaning in life beyond simply um, providing for ourselves. Mm. Mm. I think, actually, I think people need to struggle. I think all the human needs a struggling in their <gasps> life. Okay, so we can create AI that will do all the work instead of us. So we have all the time for joy, right? Yeah. But this joy will not be valuable anymore. Mm. Because if it's constantly just a joyful time, then you don't know any difference with not joyful time. So you should have some hard times in your life. You should have some hard times in your work. When you want to get the promotion, you need to work hard and like maybe feel bad at some mm, point, be mm. tired. Because when you actually will get this promotion, you will feel happiness because you understand you deserve it. Mm. So you spend some efforts, you had some hard time and you got this outcome. And this contrast mm. will actually be the source of your happiness, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think that struggle will cease. It's just the nature of the struggle will cease. Rather than struggling to work your job, maybe you'll struggle to create art, to write a book, or to yeah. paint a, a picture. We will find some other sources to struggle about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the struggle will never end, just the nature will change. Maybe. We will complain about AI. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, yeah. you remember that good old times when we had some strugglings <laughs> and like struggle about that strugglings in the past. Yeah, yeah, we'll struggle over the lack of work to do, right? Yeah, I will complain. You, you look at other people's AI, they're so smart. Why my AI is so stupid? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm also interested to hear from you, Masha, since, you know, it's a, a new perspective. Um, before you moved to Japan, what did you know about Taiwan? Before I came to Japan, to be honest, so nothing is coming to my mind, basically. Before I came to Japan, I never had any... Mm. You, yeah. never, you never thought about Taiwan. <laughs> Yeah, there's a point. I think, I think that's, <laughs> that's, it's normal. Yeah, it's normal. Yeah, but after you come to Japan, have you heard Taiwan? Yeah, so I learned about Taiwan from the friends mostly, from the people. From the friend who like drinking. Yeah, ah, the secret guest. I see. <laughs> <laughs> and then keep going. Yeah, yeah. Mm, so my impression about Taiwan were built first based on the Taiwanese people, right? And and what what was your impression of those Taiwanese people? Taiwanese people love drink. No, no, fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the honest answer is just like they are normal people, just like other people. <laughs> so it's it's very it's very difficult to say that all oh, Taiwanese p uh, people are special in something because just just normal people, just mm. like everyone else. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah. So we cannot say that some people, some nation is special uh, when you... Uh, no, we can say sometimes. Well, it's not to say special, but of course they have cultural characteristics, right? Like yeah, everywhere yeah. people are people, and that's true. And I think it's it's a really good answer you give because you're seeing them as human beings and not just this is a Taiwanese subject for study. You know, it's uh, they're human beings. Uh, okay, I can I can say some examples. So if we compare Taiwanese people and Chinese people, for example, in the university, Chinese students tend to only to create some circle and they will be uh, so they will mostly communicate with each other. 
But Taiwanese people, they are really open to the foreigners. We don't have so much small cycle, small circle. You want to say that? Yeah, I want、uh. to say that Chinese people,、uh, they make their own community, and usually they just communicate inside their own community.、Mm, yeah, like in the university, well, you will definitely see the Chinese people always hang out only with each other.、Mm. Not not all the people, but. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Whenever、But、we're speaking, it's in generalities. It's yeah, not yeah. to say everyone is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, a, it's okay to speak in generalities. <laughs> it's your experience. Yeah, and Taiwanese people,、uh, you you can see them around the foreigners.、Mm. So international and open-minded. Yeah. In this. Yeah. In this way. Yeah.、Whoa. I can say that this is a difference, maybe. Interesting. A very positive comment. Yeah. 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 Thank you. And thank you, Sue. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what what about Americans in general? Before you, I mean, have you ever been to the United States? No, never.、Uh, unfortunately, you have any impression of Americans? I think yeah. Okay, so I can <laughs> I can speak some stereotypes. Great, <laughs> Lo- I love American stereotypes. American people speak a lot. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, they really always speak.、Uh, if you just stop to talk to the American person. They immediately will find someone else to talk to. <laughs> really? Yeah, I guess so. For example, if you are in in the bar and there is some American guy, and you talk to the American guy, and then your conversation stop it at some point, the American guy will just immediately find someone else to talk to.、Ah. So like they never stop talking. <laughs>、oh. I, I see that as a gift. I、oh. think it's a talent. Oh. Yeah, but that's also my question to Joe.、Uh, do you have this kind of like social energy that when you hang out with people, this energy are decreasing, and once it's、uh, empty, you need to charge it by、yes. by, by take some rest. Do you have this kind of yes situation? Yeah. So it's it's complicated, right? Because、um, what you're talking about, we often distinguish as. Introverts and extroverts, which is kind of a simplistic way to look at it, but they say introverts are the people who, as you said, when they have social interaction, their energy goes down and they need to recharge before they have more social interaction. Whereas the extrovert is actually energized by those interactions, right? So I am an introvert. My energy goes down through social interaction. I need battery time to recharge.、Oh. A lot of time.、Um, sometimes that surprises people because I am also fairly social. I like to talk to people. I like to meet new people. Yeah, I'm so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people wouldn't expect that,、uh, but yes, in general, I'm actually an introvert.、Uh, but either way, whether we're introverts or extroverts, she's absolutely right. Americans, we're big oversharers. <laughs> like when you meet someone on the bus in America, someone you never met before, they will just tell you their life story, deeply personal experiences, <laughs> and they're not always listening to anything you have to say. Sometimes they're just telling you <laughs> what they want to say, and then they say goodbye and they walk away, and you're like, "Why do I know this person's life story?" That's that is true about us Americans. We love to share. We can be overly、uh, talkative and friendly, and just like any culture, it has its positives and negatives. But yeah, I think she hit it on the head. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Like, and is there any other stereotype? Like maybe for the American people, the good communication means that you are speaking. So that means <laughs> no, no.、Uh, Like if if you if you keep talking with the person, it shows that you are interested in this way because you are talking. Just like you you have something happening between you, but maybe for like Asian culture, to care about other person means to actually deeply get into the mind of the other person. To actually spend your energy to understand the other person,、hmm. not just talking all the time or it's not not just speaking. 
but like you need to share some emotions and some problems with the other per- person it will mean that you care mm. yeah i think it's true and, and i and i have this problem with american friends of mine all the time which is like you said they just talk and they don't really listen <laughs> i think we're just kind of narcissistic in that way and it's not it doesn't show someone that you're interested by just talking all the time being a good listener is extremely important skill and yeah it's something i've had to work on with myself yeah you're, you're a good listener i think oh thank you yeah you i are. appreciate it i think you've become asian people oh okay i've been influenced by yeah. my time in japan well i can tell you when my family gets together yeah. we don't shut up and no one's <laughs> listening it's just everyone fighting for space there's not enough air in the room for everyone so i totally get what she's talking about Conversely, how about you guys? What, what's your impression of Russians? Do you have any image or general knowledge about Russia before? I'm not sure is this stereotype or not. I think Russia people are very tall. <laughs> <laughs> That's my impression. Very tall? Very tall. Okay. Yeah, because um, when, I, when I have my first Russia friend, she's very, very tall, like one, 180 centimeters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's mine. No, no, don't be sorry. <laughs> it's not offensive. <laughs> and uh, also, Russia people can speak very good English. Oh, no, no. No? No. Uh, so, actually, this point about the language, I think the Taiwanese people knows, uh, know English much better than Russian people. No, 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 no. Statistically. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. I even talk, uh, so, I talked with Sue hmm. yesterday about that, that, like, when you start to study English. Oh. And so, she said, like, even from the kindergarten or something like that. So from the very young age. Do you think when I go to the Taiwan, I can have conversation in English with like the people I just met? In Taipei, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's my thinking. Yeah, that's my... But even those people who are not good at English, who are also very willing to talk to you, mm. but maybe by Mandarin, I think. Mm. Yeah. Because, what about in Russia? That's not the case? Yeah, because like if you go to Moscow and you will ask something in English, so probably people will help you, mm. but most probably they will not uh, reply in English because like, they don't know English so well, oh. statistically. Any other impressions of... What about you, Anna? What, what's your impression of Russian culture, or what comes to mind? When I was young, I think Russian people must be very beautiful because I received the... How to say? The doll, and it can... Reopen, 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 and you will find the smaller uh, Russia, the doll. Yeah, it's called Matryoshka. Matryoshka. So, yeah. yeah, and the Matryoshkas, that's, I lush. it's very long and very beautiful. <laughs> and I always think that, like, Russia people is very beautiful. Mm. Mm. Like, to be honest, I think the Russian people, uh, maybe European people, finds Asian people more beautiful than European and uh, and Asian finds European people more beautiful than Asian. (laughs) Yeah, so I think the the point is difference. If you see something different, uh, unfamiliar to you, you find it more beautiful, maybe. That's so political correct. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's true. (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, My own own experience and perception of Russia is like... uh, I've always loved 19th century Russian literature. I'm a huge fan of Russian writers. I really fell in love with uh, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, Turgenev, a lot of these writers. And their writing was always very different from anything else you read, especially in that period. It always struck me the complexity of their thoughts. And I, I wanted to learn Russian because I wanted to read these in their original language. 
because I was always told by Russian friends of mine that a lot is lost in the translation. There's a lot that's particular to the Russian language that cannot be translated. And I just had this impression of this whole other world out there that I couldn't quite pierce or understand. And what was coming through to me in the form of these novels I read, um, such a rich and complex and nuanced and fascinating perspective on the world that really felt different from anything else because Russia is both Asia and Europe, right? It's right there on the border. It really brings together a synthesis of these different ideas that you don't find anywhere else in the world. And there is this depth and this darkness and this um, brilliance to it that really impressed upon me just a sort of alien feeling, like people who are very different from myself and who come from a totally different background, but who I also connect to in a lot of ways. So I've always been fascinated by Russian philosophers and writers. Um, like I said, I'm a huge chess fan, and the, the chess history of Russia is impeccable. So yeah, I've always been fascinated by the country. And in college, I had a few friends from Uzbekistan and Russia, and I spent a lot of time with them. So I got to know a little bit about at least their culture, where they came from. Russia is a big and diverse place. That's another thing. Once you start digging into anywhere, whether it be Taiwan or Russia, you discover how broad and diverse it is, and you can't summarize it with just a few statements of generality. You have your impressions, of course, but yeah, it's somewhere I've always been fascinated in and always have wanted to learn more about. I did try to study a little bit of Russian. I found it impossible. Uh, I mean, I've studied Romance languages, and those I really feel a kinship to, and I can understand. Russian was totally alien to me. The whole approach, the grammar, it just, my brain couldn't handle it. So sadly, I haven't made any inroads there, but um, that's been my experience with Russian culture. Yeah, I guess we can transition from there. Um, what else are we going to talk about? We want to talk about 2022. I think it was a tough year for many people. We don't discuss the ideology things here, but uh, Masha, could you tell us, have your life changed? like have some uh, difficulty or any change point in 2022? Well, also, actually, before we get into that, maybe I, I switched too soon. What, what what do you think of my impression of my experience with Russian culture? Does any of it surprise you? Have you are you into those 19th century writers? I think that if we try to describe the Russian character, so probably uh, we will think about the person who struggles a lot and... Uh, I think just from the historical perspective, you know, the Russian political structure was always like the authoritarian mm. and like we now a democratic country, we say, but I think it's right to say that still we have very strong contribution of the authoritarian culture. Well, I, I think I told you before that one of the things that surprised me the most and really shocked me about the quote unquote Russian way of thinking is I had a friend in college and he was in a literature class and he said, the biggest difference for him between himself and American people was that Americans seem to have an expectation of happiness, that they feel that happiness is something they're owed and they expect, of course, I should be happy in life. But he said, as a Russian, you don't look at life this way. Happiness is this thing that maybe it will visit you, maybe it won't. If it comes, probably it will go away. And people don't have this expectation to be happy in life. It's kind of a different approach and a different experience and different expectation of what life is yeah i think like we can be even scared if the happiness continues for too long time because we think oh that something is going wrong there should be some struggle so maybe it's coming so as joe said the american people expect uh so american people um, expect to be happy yes absolutely like it's our it's, it's in our constitution but rather russian people expect to be unhappy i guess <laughs> 
Oh, really? I have some trouble. Yeah. So in your culture, is life is struggling. Mostly, yes, I guess. Wow. It's also probably coming from the re- religion perspective. Hmm. Yeah, like. Uh, oh, you mean uh, people have seen? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, so. It's also interesting to discuss with uh, Taiwanese people mm-hmm. uh, as a representative of the Asian religion mindset. Yeah. The point of Christianity is you struggle in this life and you get praised in the afterlife, right? Oh. So it means that you can reach the happiness only by struggling. While the Asian religion is more a philosophy, I guess. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think as you said, we don't have a lot of like religious factor in this kind of topic. I think in Asia culture, the, the people will say if you too happy, you will become sad. It's like if you push to the limit, it will bounce to other limits. So just be in the middle at all time. Not only in your emotion, but also in your lifestyle. You don't want to like spend too much money, otherwise you will become poor. So you always need to be in the middle. So that's I think it's Chinese culture, like Mo- moderation in all moderation. things. Moderation, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I think it's like more rational rather mm. than in our case it's more irrational. Oh. So yeah, when when you think about the happiness, you don't think rationally about this. You rather think irrationally, maybe. Mm-hmm. So from my perspective, the Asian culture is based on rationality rather than European culture is more based on the emotions maybe wow I think that's accurate yeah I mean I also come from a very religious country you know also a Christian country so similar experience and you're right that there is this fundamental underlying philosophy behind Christianity that we are fallen right we are imperfect we are born into the world flawed And that, as she said, your life is a struggle to try to overcome those flaws. And only in death can you actually find happiness. That life is, like she said, a struggle. So, yeah, I think it's it's also, I didn't even understand how fundamental the Christian culture in America was to who I am. Even though, you know, I'm not a practicing Christian. I don't follow that religion. But I was raised in it. And it's such a big piece of our psyche in America that many issues are affected by it. You will have an automatic approach to some aspects of life just because this is the underlying foundation of your culture and i think that's definitely the case where i come from and it sounds similar to where you come from mm. so the mm. struggle culture is kind of in russia's literature many writers write based on this yeah so they celebrate sadness and struggling as i said so mm. they describe the struggling yeah so the main character has a lot of struggles and trying to figure out how to become happy mm. This is what I was referring to when I said darkness, by the way. The darkness that I get from these Russian novelists was, yeah, that their subjects were always so heavy and that the experience of their characters was always not just struggling, but deep, deep, dark struggling, right? More so than other writers contemporary of the period. Um, that was what I meant when I said darkness, by the way. Yeah, maybe because it's like we are happy when we are in the comfortable situation, right? So in the situation we got used to be so... If we always were struggling, so we will feel comfortable by strug- in the struggling condition, <laughs> maybe. Mm. Speaking from the perspective of America and Taiwan, mm. do you think this kind of difference can be overcome in the relationships between the Americans and Taiwanese? So the Taiwanese people, rational, and American people, emotional. <laughs> maybe, I would say so. 
I think you are overestimate Taiwanese <laughs> people. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ah, we so, are. So, uh, we are not so rational. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so, uh, but the culturally, uh, I think uh, for Taiwanese people, we like the American people's culture because the chasing of happiness. Like you don't afraid of being happy. Yeah, but the Taiwanese people, we keep saying that people need to struggle or study super hard. In while they are child, so when they grow up, they can have a happy life. But the, the true life is not like that. The Taiwanese people they study super hard when they were child, and they were super hard when they are grown up, and they <laughs> they finally maybe get some happiness when after they retire. So maybe we like what you say, emotional lifestyle is more like we want to chasing happiness. Mm. So uh, why we need to struggle like whole life? Why, uh, why American people can have happy life like so? Mm. so I think it, um, yeah. Mm. So as you said, the, the problem is you can be happy by winning the competition. So, like you compete mm. with other people, mm. and you if you better than other people, if you win the competition, that will be your praise. That will be your happiness. But maybe Americans they don't really compete with each other. They just can be happy. Regardless of their <laughs> position, yeah, it's so interesting to hear other people's perspective. We always seem to like see a mirage in other people's countries. We have this image of life as being in a certain way, and then in any subject is like this. When you really dig in deep to the details, you find that it's very complicated. It's not so simple to make a you know a broad statement about anyone. I don't think Americans are that happy, and I don't think we <laughs> have any secrets about happiness. I think that an interesting part of the story of America is we're this young country. Who's just stupid enough to believe in some like we look at old old Europe as being like they have so much experience in life and this experience weighs them down. Also look at Asian culture in a similar way. You have such an old culture, so much history that people have a kind of skepticism about life because they have so much experience with it. And this is also the story of people. Young people are born very idealistic. They have all these bright hopes for the future, and then life beats you down, and you get old and skeptical, and you don't expect happiness or think that anything can work out. I think America is just a young country, just like a young person born into the world with all these high hopes and ideals. But many of those high hopes and ideals will be crushed by the weight of time and experience.、Mm. Um, you know, I, I still myself maintain a positive outlook and a positive perspective on life. But、uh, yeah, the bad news is I don't think America has that much to teach the rest of the world <laughs> about happiness and what is happiness. You know, that's another conversation. You're saying happiness is when you oh you win the award, you get first place. But I think a lot of times when you get to the top of the podium and you win, you find it empty. You don't really find you never arrive in this place of happiness. It's more an idea that you're striving to, and as you said, the struggle, the striving. That's really what life is about: is the process of getting there. There is no arrival. You will never arrive. You will never achieve happiness. Happiness is a fleeting thing that will come to you maybe in moments and then will be gone again. You you can never capture it, right?、Um, yeah, I want to say another point is I think happiness is partially a, a choice. Like for example, when I was in Australia for working holiday, and I work in a meat factory. The meat factory is not comfortable work environment. So some people they are keep complaining it. Because we have a huge Taiwanese community in the meat factory, so they keep complaining that why I come this so far away just for do this a、uh, shitting job. And some people they I found they can choose to be happy even in a bad environment. They will describe their whole fucking day in a very comedy way. So in that environment, I think happiness, yeah, partially you can choose. Like、uh, even in a 
bad environment, you can choose to be happy, like make fun of yourself and uh, just try to, you know, day by day and pass through this bad uh, situation. So it's more of like a perspective and a personal choice than it is an external circumstance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's very agree. wise. Mm. Yeah, completely agree with that. Mm. Yeah, and I think uh, for me in my own life, gratefulness is the one practice you can introduce into your life that will produce the most, we won't say happiness, we'll say lack of suffering. <laughs> so I was in a very bad place in my life and I listened to, I bought this book called How to Make Stress Work for You. I never do these kind of self-help things, but I was in a really bad place. And the best advice I got from them is she said, every morning wake up and make a list of 10 things you're grateful for. And you can't say the same things every day. It can be big or small. It can be a coffee you're looking forward to drinking or a person in your life that's positive or something bad you're not experiencing. I'm grateful I don't you know, live underground. So anything, anything in your life that you're, posit- you're, you're grateful for. And this changes the pathways into your brain. We're so used to looking at all the things that are lacking in our lives. But if you actually take time to catalog everything that's good and positive, it can influence your way of, of looking at your own life and... Um, yeah, this to me helps produce more happiness in myself than any other thing I've ever done. Yeah, so I agree with you, Jack. I think it's a it's a approach to life and not a circumstance you can arrive at. Mm-hmm. Mm. So okay. let's let's talk about the 2022. Okay, okay. So please, uh, let us know. Uh, do you, does your life change in 2022? Is there any new difficulty or some suffering things? Yeah. So I will lie if I say that nothing happened in mm. my personal life. Oh. Of course, like it hits, it it hit it really strongly. Mm. Like uh, mm, the first emotion I had, everyone hate me. <laughs> so it's it's just like an emotional reaction to 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 what's happening, and you think like, okay, now everyone will hate me, and like I, I will lose everything I had, like that, right? And um, Definitely, I expected I will have more troubles mm. than I could have if that would not happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. But uh, in real life, actually, I didn't experience so far any consequences like the people. Maybe it's because of Japan or maybe I'm just lucky enough to have people around me who are supporting all the time. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, we support you, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think we need to like see see these kind of things. Like they are human being. Like no, no matter which side they are, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, we should separate people from the government. Like yeah. like some some government movement. Maybe you disagree, or maybe you, you agree, but maybe not related to yourself. Yeah. Have you guys ever been anywhere in the world where when people meet you? they have a negative feeling about the place that you're from? They don't know where is Taiwan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're immune. They will say, China? No, 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 Taiwan. <laughs> Thailand? No, 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 Taiwan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I have this experience. Mm-hmm. And I expect, to, similar to you, I expect to have this experience more than it actually happens. Most people, especially if you're face-to-face, you know, people tend to be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe online, anonymously people will say terrible things but most human beings face to face they see your humanity and that's what they react to but you know i lived in hawaii for six years i went to college there most of the hawaiian people you meet the warmest kindest most amazing people you would ever meet um but you know hawaii was a colony of the united states it was taken over Mm. by the united states they had their own history their own royalty and a lot of people still want to be their own country 
and they look at the United States as oppressors and colonialists, basically. So I did have some people who would, you know, see me and instantly hate me because I'm white and from America. Mm-hmm. I am the symbol of something that they hate. And, you know, I've been treated badly before, had people say things to me. Um, you know, it wasn't so bad. I can't really complain too much. But I can say that it's it's a strange feeling when you're born into a country and somehow you inherit all of its history and all of its political situations. I don't remember anybody asking me anything about, you know, I get to vote, of course. But besides that, I don't remember making the decision to oppress or invade anyone. You know, I don't feel as if that, you know, oh, I'm born in America. Now I take on the American flag and everything that's ever been done by my country, I now own personally. You know, that's not most people's experience. You know, we're all just kind of caught up in these waves of history and even though, you know, we're a member of a country as an individual, we don't, you know, it, it's so much more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's been my own experience with it. But I expect many people to dislike me for being American. And I don't have that experience so often. It's actually quite rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like about responsibility. So like the letters in your passport, which indicate your nationality, makes you automatically responsible for something. Mm-hmm. Right. So it. It just brings some stereotypes immediately, right? Mm. But I think it's important point because when you meet someone, you meet a new person, probably the second question you ask after what is your name, you ask where are you from, mm. right? Yeah. All the time. So we can complain about that, but still I think it's the background of your origin is still important and maybe it will always will be important. Mm. So we can talk a lot about that we shouldn't judge person based on the origin where the person were born, which country he were lived in. But still, it's important for us because we anyway, <laughs> mm, we anyway put this piece in the whole picture of the first. Yeah. yeah and we it, always it, keep it in mind. Yeah, and it, and it does have meaning, right? Yeah. It does have meaning. We've talked about some of the philosophical foundations of our countries that you do, you are kind of born into that and it is part of who you are. It's just not all of who you are, right? Yeah. So did my life change? So physically not. Hmm. Emotionally, yes. Well, what has the emotional experience been like? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it will sound really sad. It's okay. Like um, you have the uh, conflict with yourself. So now you're trying to identify yourself somehow. So before you, you was a, a, just a Russian girl in Japan. But now you are a Russian girl in Japan or in the world, whatever. So definitely it makes a change in your mindset. Mm. That must be difficult. That it happens frequently with mm. people. <laughs> right? Well, go ahead. Any other questions you want to ask, Jack, on this subject? Mm. Uh, so how, what's the media say about Taiwan? What's the Russia media say? Yeah, so the conflict between Taiwan and China became a more significant topic in the Russian media since the conflict started between Russia and Ukraine mm. because of the parallels. Um, so China wants to invade Taiwan. Mm. Now Russia is invading Ukraine. So China is watching how it's going and what kind of con- consequences it can have mm. because like, when Russia invaded Ukraine, all the world... Uh, America and Europe and yeah the all the world started to uh, make sanctions mm. on Russia right so 
and it's and it m- uh, make it worse for Russian economy. Hmm. So the China is kind of watching what's happening, and then can understand what kind of consequence they will have if they invade the Taiwan. Yeah, because if they invade the ta- Taiwan, it m- might lead to the sanctions on the China, hmm. right? So they are learning from the situation. So this kind of opinion is exist in the Russian media, alternative media. Hmm. I think it's I think it's pretty accurate because actually the from a global perspective, the situation is actually quite similar. And what's similar is that both Russia and China are experiencing a tremendous demographic problem, which is that their populations are decreasing. And that means that strategic goals that they have, whether it be Russia or Taiwan, if there ever is a time in their history for them to to try to enact those changes that they have as as strategic goals, now is the time. It's only going to become more difficult in the future as their demographic problems increase, as their population goes down. Basically, both of those countries are at a turning point in their history where right now they're at kind of the apex of their power. And strategically in the future, that power may decrease due to demographic issues. So I think that's one big parallel between both situations. And part of why Ukraine happened when it did was a calculation by Russia that if it wants to enact this change, there's never going to be a better time than now. It will only become more difficult in the future. And I think China is in the same situation. Yeah, let's say that in Taiwan's media, let's say that from now to 2027 is the most possible time frame that China tried to invade Taiwan. Yes. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but I think this kind of description is uh, it's nonsense for me. Really? Yeah, because uh, why? <laughs> I I'm talking about China. When your country's power is decreasing, why you want to invade someone else? Yeah, it's 21 century. Like for example, for Japan, also the national power or population are are decreasing. But like this time, <laughs> this time they didn't invade other country. <laughs> right. Well, it's obviously a very different situation, right? Yeah. It depends on on that that country's global strategic position and yeah. goals, yeah. right? And the situation, the political alliances and the political situation in Japan is mm. very different from China and Russia, yeah. right? In the case of Russia, they see themselves as the opponents of NATO. Mm. So there's a tremendous amount of pressure on them to somehow resolve this conflict as they perceive it. Mm. And when it comes to Ukraine specifically, the potential of entering NATO is the issue at hand. If Ukraine were to enter NATO, the border that Russia has with NATO becomes exponentially larger. The amount of territory that they need to defend in order to defend themselves from NATO in the case of an invasion becomes hugely greater. So just that strategic fact alone Mm -hmm. changes the circumstances and the calculation that Russia's military planners can make for the future. Alternatively, with China and Taiwan, Mm -hmm. it's a lot about history, but it's also a lot about your industry, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which is a global powerhouse, which holds the key to the unlocking of technological supremacy in the 21st century. And so in the case of China, it's a calculation of the amount, the, if China were able to integrate Taiwan, it would be a huge economic boom for them. It would help ease a lot of their suffering and problems that they're experiencing through economics and the demographic collapse. So, mm. you know, Japan's situation is just different. Yeah. But uh, I, I get your point. It's uh, not. It's not. It's not a good solution uh, from your perspective to your country's problems to invade someone. But these are very complex issues, uh, and, and they're based on calculations of all the circumstances that surround each country, their history, and their goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Joe, you said like exactly what I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, maybe maybe I am too naive. But uh, 
yeah, my original thinking, original. It's uh, this is twenty first century. So the the power, the national power, is not related to the the land, the territory you have. No, it is though. Yeah, that was from the past. Uh-huh. That was from the past. For for example, if some some country want to grab United States, uh, Silicon Valley's power, if they invest Silicon Valley, does it means they have Silicon Valley? No, the those power are in people's mind. We need scientists, engineer. So not related to the territory. But yeah, this kind of thinking is too naive. Mm. We still need to protect ourselves from a uh, possible threat from uh, from China. Yeah, I think it's very deep deep topic actually uh. because we are living in the planet uh, and we yeah. are kind of trapped here <laughs> at, at least for now we cannot escape uh. from the planet so like we have to fight with each other yeah for the piece yeah, of yeah, the yeah. cake right yeah. mm. and we still yeah so this all the conflicts always happened uh-huh. since the humans started uh, their history right yeah i don't think it can be changed oh, we, we should have some global enemies Enemies such as like you know aliens <laughs> <laughs> to unite us, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the way I perceive a lot of these issues. Mm-hmm. If if you get into the details of what it's about and where the motivations come from, mm-hmm. like she said, it is about securing resources in a lot of ways. And and I understand your perspective, Jack. We're in the 21st century. We have globalism. Mm-hmm. Um, we have technology. There are things that are more powerful than geography. But I think you're underestimating geography. Geography is at the heart of nation's strategic goals. Mm. Because you talked about, you know, if someone wanted to conquer Silicon Valley, what is the true power of the United States? It's our rivers that go through our country and allow us to move goods very cheaply. It's our deep water ports, which the United States is blessed with a plethora of deep water ports. Russia's, a lot of Russia's history is driven by the fact that they don't have a warm water deep port, deep water port to export goods and to exert naval influence over the world. Like so much of Russia's history and why these conflicts have started is over trying to secure access to a deep water, warm water port. Mm-hmm. That's at the at the heart of a lot of these conflicts. So yeah. uh, uh, geography plays, I think, a huge role. And even today in the 21st century, I don't think we're beyond it yet. It's still a big driving factor in a lot of why nations do what they do. Yeah, um, I think the conflict started with, we can remember about Crimea, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So Crimea is the peninsula in the Black Sea. You can go to the Middle East, oh. Africa, and so on and so on. So the conflict between Russia and Ukraine didn't start in 2022. And mm. it even didn't start in 2014 when the Crimea was annexed. And I think it, it's very, very long history. Yeah. Yeah. So mm, history which is based on, on the securing the resources. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Mm, and... Mm. And also, maybe there is a problem of the cultural integration. Like, for example, if the China invade Taiwan, do you think... So, let's imagine this happened. Do you think the Taiwanese people can integrate in the Chinese society? Uh, sorry, you mean integrated? Integrate. Can to, they... to join with and become, yeah. become oh, one. I think we will become second Hong Kong. Mm. Yeah, and uh, original, we were like kind of the... Uh, you mean one day if we be 
be united to China. Yeah, let's imagine uh-huh. the situation. Yeah, yeah, we 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 have this kind of imagination a lot. Like we become second Hong Kong. At the beginning, people will start protest. Like we don't want Beijing uh, regime to rule us because we want our vote right out. We want free speech. But the uh, Hong Kong already did it, and it didn't success. So, so I think Taiwan also won't success. And uh, original, we were like the front line of the United States and uh, Japan. And now we will become China's front line to against United States. So anyway, both sides we don't have good life. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, I think if one day become like that, people will start to immigrate to other countries, like what Hong Kong is happening now, and uh, the people who stay will, I think, will become part of Chinese because uh, the historical we have same culture and we have same language, so it should be no problem. For those people,、mm-hmm. like who who want to have just have a good life, democracy or something is not important. I think they still can have good life.、Yeah. So, something that really surprised me that you guys told me on this podcast was that a lot of the older generation, especially some of them, want to reunite with China. Yeah, they say I want to go home. Yeah, right. I didn't expect that. I, I tended to think of Taiwan as oh, everyone there wants independence. Everyone there is, you know. No, no, we are very divided. Yeah, we are very divided inside. So the consensus is that we want to keep our life, but what kind of life or what kind of country we want、uh, is no consensus. Yeah,、mm, I think it's very similar with Ukraine、mm. from this perspective, right? Because、yeah. we also have the similar culture, very、mm. similar. Yeah, yeah. But I think one point different is that the、uh, original Russia's historical, the the culture is come from Kiev. Ah, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the yeah the the Ukrainian people make a point. Ukraine is the original Russia. So let's make a big difference because our culture come from or Beijing or Nanjing or somewhere like mainland China, mainland China. There's no Chinese culture like start from Taiwan. Taiwan was、mm, nowhere in the past time.、Mm-hmm. Even China government don't want this island because China more focused on the land. Not focused on the oceans. So original only pirates, Aboriginal Japanese pirates, or the Western the businessmen come to Taiwan.、Mm. Yeah, but but now in twenty one century become important because uh because globalization or some something. Yeah. So、and、the semiconductor industry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's different between Taiwan and Ukraine. Well, it, yeah. It, it's kind of a weird point though about like culture originating somewhere. Like all of these countries. You know, through the accidents of history, they've become a larger nation. Nations, you know, connected, annexed, had wars, lost pieces, gained pieces, and it's a similar problem in Africa, which、mm. is that somebody draws a line on the map and they say, "Okay, you're on this team, and now you're on that team." But the realities of human culture and life and history are so much more complicated, and that's where these problems happen: is when the line that's drawn on the map does not fully encapsulate people's cultural identity. And as you said, even in Taiwan, people are very divided. Some people feel Closer to Chinese,、yes. to China, and want to become part of it. Some people want to create their own identity and ask themselves, "What is the Taiwanese identity?" It's something that's still being created, right? So the question of nationhood and who should be in what little borders—it's、uh, very complicated. And there's no simple answers, and I think it's the same thing with Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, I think it's a question of dimensions. We have the three space dimensions, but we also have the time dimension. Right. Yeah. So we should consider all of them when we talk about such kind of question.、Mm-hmm. So I think right now Taiwanese are very practical. Like every option is acceptable just to keep our lifestyle. 
just to keep our like democracy or our own independent. So I think current consensus is that we won't declare uh independence and we won't we don't try to provoke Beijing. Mm-hmm. And uh, if the Western country politicians want to visit, we welcome. And but on the other side, we also try to seek some chance to negotiate with China. I think this practicality is what you're talking about earlier when you said that um, Asian cultures in general can be very. Um, rational. Yeah, very rational. This is a very rational approach. Yeah. When it comes to nationhood, as she said, especially in Western countries, it's a very emotional thing. You know, the flag, those colors, you know, who I am and yeah. what I stand for. <laughs> it's not this practical of let's maintain our lifestyle and we don't care what you call it. Oh. It's all, you know, connected to your, your identity of who you are. Like mm. to a lot of people, being an American, that really means something to them. Oh. It's, it's different. Yeah. yeah, so I guess from this point of view, yeah, so the if we make again the parallel between the Taiwan and China and Ukraine and Russia, so the Taiwanese uh, Chinese conflict is more rational and the Ukrainian Russian conflict maybe. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, uh, oh. from the perspective mm. of the people oh. who experience mm. on themselves the consequences oh, yeah. of this conflict. So the as you said, the Taiwanese people think rationally mm-hmm. about the solution, mm-hmm. and maybe Ukrainian people think more emotionally. And from the opposite side as well, mm-hmm. Chinese people from China, mm-hmm. they also think rationally. Mm-hmm. They're not like, how to say? We, we hope they think rationally. <laughs> 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 yeah, 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 but you are truly correct. The, the people from China whose support is very important for, tri- for Taiwan, Taiwan safety, because I think... We need their understanding. We need to know our situation. We need they know who we are. So I think the communication people to people is very important. Yeah. But this is a conversation that could go on forever. There's a lot more to say. Um, it's fascinating to get new perspectives on things. Uh, we really appreciate you being here, Masha. Thanks for coming. You're Thank always you. welcome anytime you want to come up from Fukuoka. Maybe we'll even do an online conversation to continue this. We really like having you here. Yeah, it was really nice experience. I'm so happy now. So, Jack, thank you. Yeah, Anna. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, this is us from Bayen. We're signing off. And Sue, thanks again for coming. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.